Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Last week we talked about, last Sunday, the story of when Peter healed the lame man at the temple. And as the old King James Version says, he was begging for alms, this lame man. And alms is an old term, an old English term, which talks about uh, giving money or food to someone in need. So a pastor once preached on this message years ago using this old King James Version. And the sermon had greatly impressed the little girl and his congregation. Meeting the preacher at the back door on the way out, she said to him, I really liked your sermon this morning. And the preacher said, thank you. But it was a little just wondering if she really could understand what he was saying because she was so small. So he said, can you tell me what I preached about? And she said, oh, yes, sir. She replied, your sermon was about a man who asked Jesus for arms, but got legs instead. (laughs) I can hear people laughing all over the Internet right now. See, those are pastor jokes. I try not to use those, but once in a while, you got to use them. Today, we're talking about the distinction of being ordinary, part one. I divided this message into two parts because, well, just basically because of length. So we'll look at part one today. And we saw how last week in, on, in that message, that recipe for um, surprise, for being absolutely astounded, how the lame man's interaction with Peter and John, there's three significant things which took place in that interaction. Uh, one, the man gave Peter his full attention. We talked about that. And that talks about focus, how we need to do that with God. We want so much from him. But sometimes we can be challenged to say, but I'm going to give you so much of my attention and focus that I receive from you. And secondly, he accepted the outstretched hand. And that took faith because his legs were still weak when he took hold of that hand. He had not been yet healed, but was willing to take it and be lifted up in his weakness. And then he was made strong. So that took faith. And thirdly, acknowledging God in praise, the freedom to go and leap and give praise to God. And today, that was, well, that was Acts chapter three. Today, we are at Acts chapter four. And Peter and John are brought before the religious council to be reprimanded to explain about the healing of this man because they did not like that. In Acts 4 7, we read this of the religious leaders. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? So Peter answers, and this is what we're going to talk about today. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation and no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so today we're going to learn a couple of things from Peter's response to this religious council. And first of all, in your sermon notes, you have those printed out. The first thing we learn is Peter assumed no personal greatness. Instead, he points and gives all credit and glory to Jesus Christ. Peter knows 
and realizes that it was not his own power or by his own godliness, this lame man was healed, but was by the name of Christ. And do you know and realize that God can work, do the work of his kingdom without us? He doesn't need our ability. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our expertise. But thankfully, God does invite us to join him in the most meaningful work which exists here on earth. And you and I have the privilege to, when we're invited to say, yes, I want to join you and participate, God, in what you are doing and be used for your purposes. It was not by Peter and John's power that this lame man was healed. It was in the name of Jesus which brought the healing about. And Peter and John were just invited to be instruments, to be used by God and to join in on this great miracle, which I'm sure was exciting for them to witness and be a part of. Because God equips us and would use us for his work, as he did with Peter and John, we can sometimes get confused about where the glory really belongs. Peter made no mistake. This miracle happened and was possible only because of Jesus. It is his powerful name at work here, not mine. And Peter says there's no salvation in no one else. Peter would not boast in his name, but only in the name of Jesus Christ. And one of the temptations people can face is they try to make themselves appear more important in the eyes of others. All of us want to be valued. We want to be respected. And so we'll boast about ourselves to achieve greatness. We keep telling people what we've done, what we've accomplished, and but what title we have carried because the opinion of others matter. And we want others to listen to us because we feel we have done great things. I'm going to share with you a question I will ask of myself. And I do ask this of myself from time to time. And I would encourage you to ask yourself when you're tempted to boast about your achievements and your value to what God is doing in his church. Ask yourself this. What would you boast about if it were only God and you in the room? What would you boast about if it were only you and God together? Would you boast to God about your upstanding morality? Would you boast to God about what you have done for his church? Would you boast about and try to impress God with your wisdom, your insight, and your successes? Probably not. In fact, you would feel just the opposite in that instead of, you know, having a boisterous bravado, you would suddenly have a hushed humility before God. In both the books of 1 Peter and James, it tells us this, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so you must decide, do I want God to resist me or to give me his grace? If I want to receive his grace, I must be humble before him.
What would you boast about if God and you were the only two in the room? I'm sure you feel the same way that I do and that all I could boast about is Jesus. And that's not just a Sunday school answer. I know sometimes when we're in church and the question is asked, we give the right answer. I call that the Sunday school answer. But this has got to be the answer Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as well. I would boast in Christ. Jesus is sinless. I haven't been. Jesus was fully obedient. I haven't been. Jesus was truly faithful. I haven't been. Jesus, I can't conquer death, but he can. I'm not able to secure a place in heaven on my own. But Jesus does. We read this in Ephesians, for God raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because, get that word, because we are united with Christ Jesus. It's not what I have done. It's not who I am, but because I've chose to be united humbly with Christ and by his name, by his power, I can be seated with him in the heavenly realms. So if you and God were alone in the room, how much pride and glory would you feel comfortable seeking for yourself? How comfortable would you be in convincing God of your great feats and your accomplishments, which his church needs? If I'm going to give glory where glory is due, it's got to be Jesus. Final answer. What the kingdom of God needs in this world is not more of me, but more of Christ working in through me. And for this to happen, I need to be humble and fill myself with God's Holy Spirit. And this is what Peter is doing this day, standing before the religious council. We read, they brought in the two disciples and demanded by what power, whose name have you done this? And then then it says, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see next week how being filled with the Holy Spirit, these religious men were convicted by what Peter had said. When Robert Morrison, who was the first um, modern missionary to China, was leaving his ship, he came from England, went to China, and as he's stepping off the ship for the first time, the English captain looked at him and sneered, saying this, So you think you're going to make an impression on China? Morrison replied, no, sir, but I believe God will. That was about 200 years ago. And only 10 converts were baptized during Morris's 27 years of service in China. Would you call that a success? 27 people came to the Lord or 10 people in 27 years. But today there's an estimated 100 million Christians in China. 100 million. Imagine if we could talk to Robert Morrison that day he stepped off the ship for the first time, walking into this great unknown. If we could say someday, a day is coming, 200 years from now, where we can say there's 100 million believers following Jesus in China. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, because that's where the difference is going to be made. What fills you? Is it pride? Or is it Jesus? What has taken hold of your life? 
what you have done or what Jesus has done and is doing? What grips you? I read in my devotions this week uh, a line that said this, whatever we glory in is what has gripped us. Whatever we glory in is what has gripped us. So what are you really about? What matters to you, really, honestly? What grips you? For that answer, someone just has to listen to you speak and read what you write about to know what you truly glory in. What has a hold of you? The Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary, the great theologian, the church builder, the writer of important parts of the New Testament, accomplished so much and yet hear his testimony. Paul says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this would be another reason I think we would want to begin our day alone with God, just him and us in the room. So we understand who is worthy here, who gets the glory, who is God and who isn't and humble ourselves and learn from him and seek him and know him and be filled with his presence. Probably a good adage in speaking to others would be this. We should speak as if God is in the room with us. That's great advice. It's good advice because he is in the room with you and you will give account for what you say. It was John the Baptist who speaks on our behalf, I believe, when he said this about Jesus, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Jesus teaches us for whatever is in your heart, whatever grips you, determines what you say. A good person produces good things from a treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And then Jesus says, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. So when Peter spoke before this religious council, his reluctance to gain praise and glory for himself is to me is another proof of God's transforming power in his life. Remember, because the disciples used to argue about who's the greatest. Luke 9, 46, look it up. Who's better? Who's greater? But now here's Peter willing to step aside and point to Jesus. He humbles himself. He makes Jesus the focal point of what has happened, what is happening because he is the focal point of this life. I remember going to a Christian concert uh, a number of years ago and the crowd would vigorously applaud and cheer at the end of the song. And I remember this artist responding by physically motioning to the people, taking, accepting their praise, but then redirecting it up to God. What a beautiful picture. It's taking it, but pushing it off to the Lord that he received the glory. I'll never forget that. They wouldn't take hold of it. And as much as I want to receive the recognition, I want God to receive the glory even more. So Peter assumed 
No personal greatness. Instead, he points and gives all the credit and the glory to Jesus Christ. Secondly, what we'll learn today, and we'll look more next week. Secondly, we learn this from Peter. To be, we need to be diligent about having Jesus at the center of who we are and all we do. We need to be diligent about having Jesus at the center of all of who we are and all that we do. Peter says this, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Why is Peter using this line? What would that mean to this religious council? Well, they knew. Jewish tradition history tells us that when they were building the great temple, they all the, the masons that were all the people there, the builders building the stones and putting them in place. And there was a great master stonemason who carved out this big, huge square stone and he sent it off to the temple. But the builders looked at it and understand where does this fit in? They looked at the blueprint and said, well, I don't know where this stone fits in. It doesn't make any sense. So they just set it off to the side. And after a while, that stone got in the way of all their work and movement. So they actually took the stone and pushed it down over a, a, a hill into the Kindred Valley where it stayed and it was lost in some bushes. When the day came to hoist the great cornerstone in the place that holds everything in the place, the great rock which holds everything could not be found. And so the mason sent word to the cornerstone uh, that sent word and saying, where's this cornerstone? And the mason said, well, I sent it to you already. I already sent it to you earlier in the project. But they couldn't find it or locate it. And then someone remembered, oh, that great square stone that we rejected and threw down into the valley is now hidden in the bushes. That was the cornerstone. And so they had to go down bring it back up and put it in place because that cornerstone held everything together. The builders of the temple had rejected the cornerstone, the very rock which holds everything into place. In the same way, the people rejected Jesus, the cornerstone which holds all life in place. God, the father, the Mason, master Mason sent his son to hold our life together, to make sense. And then we rejected it. And that's what John is saying to us in his gospel. It says, Jesus came into this very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. And I wonder, can that still happen in the church today? What do you think? Jesus addresses this issue in the book of Revelation chapter three with the church in Laodicea. The church is, and if you read it, is meeting behind a closed door and they're relying on their own resources. They were a wealthy congregation. They, they sold dye. They, they had, you know, they had money. They, they, they were very industrious and very profitable and they're relying on their own resources to strategize how they can sustain the church. And then we read this well-known verse. Jesus says this to that church behind the closed door, relying on their own resources. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. 
Can you see the irony in this? The church of Jesus is meeting to do the work of Jesus, but while Jesus all the while is outside knocking, say, hey, let me in. Let me be a part of what you're doing. But they didn't. Pastor Randall Denny liked to write about um, the book of Acts. In one of his books, he says this, the source of this new life is God the Father. We can do many religious things without God's help. We can make Sunday school classes interesting and fun. We can cheerfully decorate the building, give good instruction, lifting the ideals of people and raise their moral goals. All of this can be done without God. Churches can have attractive and spacious buildings, a good worship team, a great speaker behind the pulpit, and many groups who meet together for various activities with good church programs, all without God. Listen to what he says next. But if we crave to see men and women, boys and girls born into the kingdom of God, move to repentance, if we are desperate enough before God to have real life-changing faith, then we must, we must have Jesus. He must be the motivation for all we do, whether in our church programs or in our own personal ministry. He is the only source of power to bring broken hearts and lives into Christ's new life. We can't afford to reject him. Be busy about his business without making him the cornerstone and the center of all who we are and all that we do. I have to laugh at myself because when I was a young pastor, I will confess to you, I wanted to be another John Maxwell. I wanted to write books. I wanted to speak at conferences and to be in demand and make too much money. Now all I can think about is who's going to heaven and who's going to live in hell forever and regret. That's what motivates me today. We cannot afford to allow other things to distract us from keeping Jesus at the center of all we do and who we are. I've been very mindful of this lately in a couple of life groups that I, um, I, I am a part of. I asked them to be praying with me for a couple that they won't know. Um, but I asked them to pray with me. They're nice people. They're good people. And they're lost people. And um, their marriage is on the brink of breaking up. And I was meeting with the husband this week. All I could think of was this couple doesn't need the little things that we make so important sometimes. We become so gripped by. This couple doesn't need our church building, as grateful we are for our church building. They certainly don't need our church constitution and bylaws. They don't even need our church programs. What they need is Jesus. It's what the world needs. Are we prepared let others see him at the center of who we are and all that we do. Because that's, as Randall Denny said, that's what's going to save them. That's what the Bible says. That's the name. The only, Peter said, the only name that someone can be saved by is the name of Jesus. Not a denomination, not by a work, not by a person, but by him. When Peter and John encouraged this lame man, when they said, I will heal you, this lame man wanted money, remember? But that would not change. And Peter said, I don't have that. But what I'm going to give you is going to change your life forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand and walk. That changed him. And we must keep our focus 
on the author of Changed Lives. There was a lady named Catherine in one of um, our churches who I appreciated very, very much. She oversaw our volunteers. And I nicknamed her Woohoo because she always celebrated going Woohoo. She celebrated Jesus a lot. And for many years, my habit on Tuesday mornings was to go into the church and to pray with a prayer group that I have. It was just incredible. When I came to the church, I didn't go through the main entrance of the building, but through another door that volunteers and staff would use that was closer to the prayer room. And as you enter this part of the church, you come to this room where there's this great big whiteboard up on the wall. And here on this whiteboard, Catherine posted for us every week some words to remind us why we do what we do as staff and volunteers. And then she would say, tell us what she would tell us why we're to do it and then how we were to do it. How are we to do this? And then she shared what Jesus was able to accomplish through our obedience to him. And because she loved to focus on Jesus and she loved to celebrate. So every Tuesday morning, I'd walk in early to the church and I'd pause before this whiteboard before going into the prayer room. And I often sometimes even take a picture of this because I want to remember it because we're celebrating and to be reminded of what we're to do, why we're to do it and how we're to do it. And I was frantically looking for a picture this week because I knew I had some and I found one in, from my files from years ago. And I'd love to share with you an example of this picture today of that whiteboard on one particular week in 2010. You can see here, Catherine is reminding us what our mission is. This week, helping every generation succeed in our life from young to old. Can you see that on the, on the whiteboard? And then she would use the word of God to remind us how we are to do this. And this particular week she wrote, imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children. What great advice, how that fits in to our, our message today. Imitate God, reflect him. And over on the left, you can see where she also included a portion of the love chapter from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Manuela just read that, I think, for us last week. And the passage reminds us how we, are, we can be equipped with great abilities. We can have great abilities, but if we don't use them with the love of Christ, we are nothing. I don't care <laughs> how equipped you are, what your ability is. If we don't do it, we're just a clanging gong. We need to get hold of that truth. Then she included what she had been, what was been accomplished as we love and as we imitate Jesus and as we serve and love. I always found this part encouraging. We always measured what we value. We measure what we value and we measure what God has done. And so this is back in 2010. I'm not sure what point of the year. I think it was summer, but we can see where 481 people have already committed their life to Jesus. We had that before us every week. How many people in our Sundays are committing their life or coming forward, accepting Christ into their life? And we would celebrate that. You see, we had 88 baptisms so far that year. And one of them was my own daughter, Carly. And at the bottom, you see where we had in attendance 2,240 people who wanted to make time to come and to worship and hear from God. And so we go into prayer encouraged by what God has done and thank him for what God has done because he who does it, all we got to do is lift him up and he'll draw people into ourselves. All we got to do is humble ourselves and he will work through us. All we got to do is allow ourselves to be filled with his Holy Spirit and he will use us. I think it would be great to have a whiteboard here at our church to remind us 
why we do what we do, how we're to do it, and what we've accomplished, what God has accomplished in us and through us. So we can celebrate that and remember who he is. Because Jesus needs to be the center of all we are and all we do as his followers and as his church. Like Peter, we should be able to say what we're able to accomplish as a church is due to the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Not because of a person, not because of a building, not because of a program, not because of a policy or a constitution, but because of Jesus. All these other things are important, but they should support. Not be used as weapons, but to encourage each other. Let, let us not allow ourselves to be distracted from this truth. As it says in 1 Corinthians 1.31, Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. If you must boast, if you must give glory, then let it be to the and about the Lord. I want us to close with just a couple of minutes of reflection. And if you would humble yourself and open yourself before God and, and hear and say, this is, hear, listen to God saying, this is what I want you to know today. This is what I want you to hear. Then ask him in these two minutes of reflection, God, how do you want me to respond? That's what makes any message great. It's not just that we receive it and hear it, but we respond to it. At least it makes it great in our lives because we're allowed God to work in us and change us. Would you take two minutes and reflect? Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.